And welcome to Thrift Shop Biography. This is the one about Vivian Westwood. Thank you for listening. Hi. Hello. So, this week, we've been reading the autobiography of Vivian Westwood. And um, I should put it, it's an autobiography in conjunction with a writer, right? Yeah. Writer, right? Yes. I really enjoyed the format of it. Yeah. And that the writer fills in, kind of narrates in a way. Historical context and stuff. Incredible. But so useful. She obviously would not have had time. Yeah. To do all that research yeah. of her own life. And then the bits that she speaks are actually verbatim. It's like... Yeah, it's almost like a magazine inter- article yeah. or an interview. Yeah, yeah, it's like an interview. So she talks at length, obviously. Yeah. So you'll get, you get the historical context and the political climate and stuff from him. And then all of a sudden her voice comes yeah, into it. Yeah, she breaks through and actually chats yeah. to you. Uh, what I also, what I really loved is that he also talks to her sons. Yeah. And so they have bits in it as yeah. well. So it's such a well-rounded, I think probably better than just having an autobiography where yeah. it's just one person. Yeah. Anyway, Vivian Westwood, before you read this book, what did you think of her? Well, she's a fashion icon, obviously. And I knew she founded punk. And I, I haven't missed her career. I've seen it happen. Uh, a lot of tartan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Safety pins. That's the sort of thing I think of. And she died recently yeah. at a, quite a good age. And she aged gracefully and yeah. she's, you know, nothing but respect. She's excellent. That's all I knew. I didn't know she was a teacher. Oh, lots uh, yeah. Of I didn't know. Lots of things you lots didn't know. Lots of stuff, yeah. Yeah. How about you? I've always loved a full disclosure. I've read this book before when it came out. Yeah. So when you found it in the thrift store, you said, I found it. Yeah, I'm like, brilliant. Yeah. I get to read it again. <laughs> yeah. I've always loved her, but I've loved the woman, the person. Yeah. Like, I almost have no interest in fashion. Ah. So it's weird that I should love her so much. Yeah. So I'm interested in her as an icon, but also as a personality, as a political person, as an artist, yeah. actually. Yeah. Also, I was very into punk and stuff. Yeah, that like, was. Later, I was too young to like it the first time round, mm. and she was so much a part of that 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 obviously turned me on to her. Mm. But in terms, I don't follow her fashion career, but I follow her. Mm. Like mm. if she's in an interview in a magazine or if she's on TV, I will I will listen wow. and I will read everything about her. But I don't. I I'm, I'm the other way around. You were I've, I've almost. Fashion. I've never really bothered listening to her speak. Right. <laughs> I should look at the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and weirdly yeah. enough, somebody gave my friend gave me a Vivian Westwood jacket uh, during what? lockdown. Really? Sent it me in the post. No kidding. And it's tweed, and it's double layered lapel. And I thought this is not anything I would ever wear myself. Yeah. Worn it, loved it, I love it because <laughs> of the way it fits around yeah. me. And oh, so it's really lucky that I've actually had the chance to experience wearing something from mm-hmm. her because I really get now how it fits your form mm-hmm. and the way it layers. It's just so cool. It's so different. But it's a tweed jacket. Yeah. Isn't? And everyone notices. Everyone goes, that's cool. Ah. Yeah. That's one thing she talks about, isn't it? About it about it fitting particularly yes. women properly. And yeah. Whereas I think a lot of the male designers are more about how something looks. Yeah. And it can contort the actual shape of a woman. Yeah. Whereas like Vivian Westwood is like, no, you, you don't squash the breasts in you yeah. know you, you fit it properly to a woman's body yeah. so it's interesting that, that that you say that from just wearing one of yeah. the jackets yeah yeah hmm. so let's get, immediately go straight back to the Start beginning because she's beginning. had a real interesting rise it, it wasn't just like 
somebody i mean she did always know that she was good at making stuff right even as a young girl yeah plus she always had this sense that she was special in some strange way mm-hmm. she she says i've never talked about this before i feel like it's arrogant to say so but she just felt like she was important yeah different and she wanted to fight things and yeah she also had like a natural talent for creating mm. making to the point where she was quite bored at school mm. of um academic work she wanted to be using her hands well it's important to say she was born in the middle of the world war ii so 1941 do you know what i find that amazing actually when she talks like about her teenagers being at the time of rock and roll you think but it can't be she's not that old yeah she was that old old. but she was young to the end yeah which is why it's cool yeah so 1941 if you're born in the middle of world war ii then you grow you're growing up in post-war britain yeah which is make do and mend yes you know so yeah. her mum made a lot of clothes and it's about they didn't have everything that she says she wasn't really aware of the things they didn't have because her mum managed to get mm-hmm. everything so mm-hmm. there was no elastic in post-war britain but they always had enough elastic somehow mm-hmm. she had this sort of really amazing childhood that was just brilliant she was in the countryside picking flowers skipping across fields yeah. where is she in the north of england right in a little derbyshire. place called tint whistle derbyshire yeah I'll yeah it up it's kind of right of manchester Okay. Into the countryside, mm-hmm. that sort of way. And it's her and a younger sister and a younger brother. Mm. And her mum and dad, who sound great and they really do. supportive, like throughout her whole life, yeah. even when she was doing stuff that they were opposed yeah. to, they still supported her 100%. Yeah. Actually, being somebody radical, being a punk, you would expect there to be some kind of conflict with yeah, the parents. Yeah, or rebellion or something. Yeah, there but isn't. It, there isn't. She just had confidence. She had a really good grounding. Yeah. So that can work for you as well, turns out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, that, that kind of post-war experience in her formative years, the yeah. ethics and stuff that yeah, she picked being up. Yeah, creative with what you've got. Yeah, it's really carried mm. through, mm. even to when she's, you know, a, a world-renowned yeah. designer. Yeah. It's just that thing of having quality and, and making something good with what you've got. Yeah. In, instead of this disposable culture that yeah, just exactly. is everywhere these days. I think the Queen's coronation happened when she was 12, and I think that deeply affected her. Because you say that everything was very bland mm-hmm. and dull, and then suddenly there was all this colour, mm-hmm. and the yeah. whole streets were filled with flags, and everyone was out having parties. And it was the first big colourful thing that happened since the war. And it must have struck a deep chord because she she's so connected with royalty, isn't she? She Britain. is, yeah. Which I kind of think is at, at odds with her punk when you're sensibilities. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But somehow with her, it kind of just makes sense. Yeah. But she does have this fascination with royalty, and she ends up being friends with Prince Charles because they have their similar ecological concerns. But even with the Queen, when she talks about it, she's a designer, she wants to dress royalty. Yeah. And she's hoping that somebody in the royal family will wear her clothes. But it's completely at odds yeah. with half of her personality. Yeah. I was reading this on the train, and it said, and then my parents decided to move to Harrow, and the train said, the next station is Harrow on the Hill. I was like, what the? What? So I googled the address that they moved to, and it was like one street away from the exact place I was sat no as the train kidding. went through. Yeah. Wow. I thought one day I'm going to get off and have a little wander. Yeah. Because it's. I did Google street maps it, and it is still a shop. And so they lived over it. Okay, so her mum and dad moved the family from Tintwistle up north, 
down to London. They opened a post office yeah. stroke grocery store and they lived above it. Yeah. So Harrow is now pretty much considered Part London. Part of London, yeah. But it's just far out if you're on a bus. But 40 in years ago. 1958, it, it actually really ago. was outside London. Yeah. So her social life didn't really take off. Mm-hmm. Because she was very much based in a suburb. It was interesting as well how she noticed quite quickly a difference between North and South in terms yeah. of socialising. And fashion. And yeah. music. And, yeah. and how she would go out on her own. And, and she got quite down about being in London because she would go out to places and she couldn't connect with people. And so she started getting the train back yeah, up North at the weekends. Because yeah. she said you go to a, a dance up North near where she was. And you could dance on your own and somebody would dance with you. But you come down to London, suddenly the room is dark yeah. and people are all cliquey. And yeah. if you go on your own, you stay on your own. And the actual style of her dancing was different. Yes. So she looked really odd. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see those dancers and compare yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. So she came, hang on, She when she was at Harrow on the Hill, she went to art school, right? Yeah. But she didn't stay there. I think she started off in art. She did jewellery and silversmithing. She, then, she, then she left the art course and yeah. to make jewellery. Yeah, which is interesting because accessories is a big part of her mm-hmm. label later on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So she, it's good grounding. For sure. Little did she know. But after doing her course, she actually then trained to be a teacher, mm. and art, but specialising in art. I don't even think it was. Okay, I think she was just, just a primary school teacher. Yeah, yeah. infants. And she became she's a teacher. Just, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And, and, and it's really good, the accounts that they say she was the best teacher ever because she was so creative and she'd get them all on buses and take them out to the countryside. Yeah, of course, because you're not... to museums. You're not restricted by the national curriculum exactly. in the 1950s, 1960s. Yes. And so what... you, you just did what you yeah. wanted to with them. She t- also, but mind you, she also took a bunch of eight-year-olds to the cinema to watch Battleship Potemkin, <laughs> which is slightly... But they'd have been inspired. Yeah. It does say that people who got taught by her were completely inspired in life yeah she's the most interesting teacher they've ever had yeah but also she kind of had no she was almost anti-establishment whilst being a primary school teacher and that she didn't impose rules on the kids really and she favored the naughty ones because she liked their energy yeah yeah i can imagine a young vivian westwood in charge of a a class of (laughs) primary school children yeah Yeah. i bet they had a great time yeah endlessly creative Mm, no rules but so she did that kind of on and off, didn't she, yeah. being a teacher? And plus she was the most stylish teacher yeah. ever invented yeah. and really stood out. She's always been incredibly stylish. There's yeah. pictures, photographs of her in the book at the age of like 15. She looks so much older, doesn't <laughs> she? She does look so much older, but she's also looks incredibly cool and stylish. Yeah. So even from that young teenager, she, she really had a yeah. sense of style and it was important to yeah. her. Very important. And it talks about, actually not she, but in the book as it's giving the historical mm-hmm. context, it's saying about all the different uh, looks that are coming up and T-shirts and jeans were getting made popular by people like James Dean and Elvis. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is nuts, really, because that's we haven't really moved on from that. No, it's true. <laughs> that's, that's the 50s. <laughs> it's a good classic look. Yeah, yeah. It's not very interesting. She made it interesting, actually, because mm-hmm. she took the T-shirt and ran with it. Yeah, didn't she? But it's saying that... Um, it's a fashion as a challenge to society because I guess uh-huh. wearing jeans and a t-shirt is not wearing a suit. Yeah, and waistcoat of course. And tie, yeah. which is what you've come from at yeah, that point. Yeah, hundred percent. Back crazy, then, people were it? so smart. Yeah, even but, things that I mean, people don't even dress up to go to the theatre anymore. But there was a time where, like, even if you went to get on a plane, you'd put yeah, a suit on. True. 
But yeah, yeah I guess jeans and t-shirts and stuff kind of did. That was a big us... statement at the time. Yeah, and you can imagine actually the older generation probably really looked down on people who were wearing jeans and yeah. t-shirts. Because you're right, everybody wears yeah. it now. Oh, I think it was very American as well, wasn't it? The uh-huh. jeans. Yeah. So it was like you were getting a bit of James Dean and Elvis if you yeah. wore the jeans. Yeah, from for America. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then she gets to nineteen. So only two years in Harrow. And she starts hanging out with a group that includes Derek Westwood. Yeah. And it's music that brought them together then, isn't it? Yeah. Vivian's younger brother says they were both, Derek and Vivian, were both just so stylish and so yes. cool. Uh, what I liked in the book is he said, oh, I, I was immediately hero worship Derek, but I'd always hero worship Vivian yeah. anyway. It's like, it's a little brother. Yeah. That's so sweet. But he said the two of them together were just so effortlessly cool and yeah. stylish and they're still so they're like 19 at this point yeah and Derek's the same age like it's a couple years older maybe yeah but... and he's just an apprentice I can't remember where but he dreams of being a pilot an airline pilot and he ends up being one yeah eventually yep and the thing I like about this as well is that Vivian Westwood I mean they weren't together too long she still says the nicest yeah. things about him now. Yeah, yeah. She knows he's a really good man and yeah. she Isn't loves him. He's a great dad. Father, yeah. Because, uh, of course, they have a baby they quite quickly. They get married and have a kid. <laughs> She's sort of saying she doesn't know why she did it. It's just that it's what you did. If you went out with somebody, you've got to get married. Yeah. You've kind of got to. The sex outside marriage thing, this isn't really a thing in 1950. Where are we? 1960 now. Yeah. No, I can't get. I even remember in my lifetime, like in the nineteen seventies, people didn't really get divorced and stuff. Even I mean, yeah. everybody gets divorced now. And people definitely didn't live together. <laughs> yeah, without being married. So t- to go so back another to fifteen years, and I totally get where she's coming from. Yeah. You know, you have a boyfriend, you're nineteen, you get married, and you have a baby. Yeah. It's what you it's do. What you do. And she's a teacher and it's responsible. Yeah. But then at the same time, they're still being cool enough to be putting on dances. Yeah. In London. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That yeah. early on, she's hanging out with the Rolling Stones, the Who. The Who. Yeah, because Derek is a club promoter and he puts on nights and he's managing yeah. bands, one of which is an early incarnation of the Who. Yeah. And I didn't think that they were called something else. And it's while Derek was managing yeah. them that he actually became yeah. the Who. Yeah, that, yeah. So she's part of that scene already. She's a bit of a rock star herself. Yeah, she is. is. That, yeah. yeah, you know, obviously like attracts like and all that. Yeah. But it's at this point, one of her female friends, right? Is it Sarah or Sally? I can't remember. It begins with an S. It begins with an S. I think it's Sarah. (laughs) Anyway, she's finding herself drawn to Sarah more. And even though she liked Derek, I think that she wasn't bored by him. But Sarah was... Intellectual stimulation. Yeah, and she also says to this day, even though Vivian Westwood has worked with a thousand models, she still says that Sarah is the most beautiful woman she's ever seen. Um, but she was more worldly and she was interested in other things mm. and like Vivian was finding herself drawn mm. towards so that she had more of a mm. connection with Sarah and wanting to be with her more and wanting to spend time with her and then she kind of realised that perhaps Derek wasn't yeah. the person for she... her rather unusual as we were just saying the thing to do back then was to get married and have a baby yeah. the thing not to do was leave your husband yeah when the baby is still a baby well, it's like two and she does it she does it yep to the dismay of everyone yep that can't believe she's doing it because yeah. nobody ever did and that. And it doesn't make any sense. It's not like he's evil or yeah. anything. She just yeah. knows it's not right. It's just not right. And then she, she moves in with her little brother's <laughs> mates. Yes. It's a boy's house. And she moves in their house, like a shared house, 
with a baby. Well, a toddler. Yeah. That is in- insane. Yeah. Well, it's different. <laughs> it really is. But I guess that just goes to show the personality that she yeah. actually is, you know. Unstoppable. Yeah, and she's going to do what she wants to do. She doesn't care what people think. think. Yeah. Although she did momentarily in the fact that she did settle down with Derek and had a baby. That's yeah. kind of what oh, convention dictates, Yeah, right? I guess so. But she still picked the coolest bloke and they were still yeah. working and putting on dances. Yeah, so it's yeah, still yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. And I mean, I think the kids seems really conventional, but it's also amazing because she loves her kids and she's so free with them. Oh, so Yeah, we will get to that later, but she is a very uh, liberal mother. She's a hands-off mother. Yes, yes. But it's done well. It's come out well. They adore her. Yeah. Even just reading what they say now as grown men. It's just kind of... I don't think I've ever heard any sons. It's interesting what they said. They said that they didn't just love their mum, they liked her. Yeah, I know, that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that, because she's only got one at the moment. (laughs) Okay, she's got a little baby. And she's she's in a boy's shared house. With her brother, who's an art student, right? Has her brother an art student? Her little brother's an art student. Then he brings a friend home one day called... Malcolm McLaren. (laughs) Malcolm Edwards back then, right? He wasn't McLaren yet. Oh, yeah. None of this is even his real names, because his history is insane. Yeah. He has a very disjointed family. Yeah. Yeah. He has this overbearing grandmother. Yeah. His own mother doesn't seem to... It does say she's a prostitute, but it says it in, in speech marks, so I don't know whether... I think what they meant is she found a rich man in Monte Carlo oh. and just went off with him and left Malcolm to it. Yeah, they... He, al- that sort of... he also had a brother who is almost not mentioned to the point that his granddaughter didn't know she had an uncle yeah. until she went to his funeral. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very strange... Yeah, disjointed family, and I don't think they particularly looked after Malcolm, and I don't think there was a lot of love there for him, which explains a lot about him. That's who he turned into, yeah. He didn't didn't want kids, and that's absolutely fair enough. He always said he didn't want kids. He wasn't interested. Anyway... They got on intellectually and yeah. like the house on fire. But and let's not forget that Vivian is about five years older than him. She is. Which at those ages is actually a massive yeah. gap, I think. He was nineteen. Right. When and they met and she was twenty four with a toddler. And a school teacher. And which school again teacher. makes her seem older. She was very much the older woman in his yeah. mind at nineteen. And I don't think he'd even had a girlfriend. Oh no! He, he, she took his virginity. Yeah, that's took, right. She took it. She took it. Run <laughs> with it. Um. Yeah. So eventually, I mean, they were hanging out and they were interested in each other. But I kind of didn't get. Well, certainly on Vivian's part, there was no sexual that attraction. It really to this. wasn't. And I think there was only a mild interest in his part initially. Yeah. They ended up having sex, not through any kind of like unbridled attraction. No. It's just that he was ill. He said, he, well, he might have even pretended to have the He flu. says that he was pretending. And I think he did that to kind of devalue it a bit. Yeah, do you think? So he, he moved into her bed and wanted to She was looking after, after him yeah. when he was ill. So he was staying in her bed for a few days. And then that eventually ended up with her kind of getting into the bed and then having yeah. sex. And then she became. So it isn't the greatest love story. No, it really isn't. No, it really no. isn't. And it turns out not to be as well. But oddly, they do obviously forge an yeah, important it was the making of both in of history. Them. Yeah. So they end up in bed together, which results quite quickly in her being pregnant yeah, again. Daft. Which he... <laughs> 
really had no interest no, in being really a father. No, he really didn't, honestly. And that's apparent no, throughout his whole life. 1965, but come on. Yeah, and because he's still a young kid, I suppose, you know, and he... Yeah, goes, oh no, it makes absolute sense. He's a young kid, he's got everything to live for. He's obviously a really amazing spark of a human being. He's got his head full of ideas, and he wants to achieve this and do that and experiment with this. He doesn't bloody want to get saddled with a... Yeah. Uh, older woman, a toddler, and and a yeah. baby on the way that says it makes complete sense that he doesn't want a part of that. On yeah. both of those grown adults should have known better. Come on. Well, they did because Malcolm's grandmother gave them the money to go and yeah, terminate the pregnancy, just... and they're on the way to Harley Street. Yeah. And in that moment, Vivian kind of realizes, oh, actually, I do like Malcolm yeah. a lot. Yeah. And and I find him exciting and interesting and he's got all these ideas. Yeah. Actually I don't want to get rid of his baby. Yeah. And they took the money for the for the abortion and instead of going to Harley Street Watson they went fabric. to South Moulton Street yeah. and she bought a cashmere sweater yeah, yeah. and some matching fabric yeah. to make a skirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beginning of yeah. a lot of stuff. And amazingly, if you don't mind me leaping forward, that kid Mm-hmm. Who's called Joe Corey? Because that's mm-hmm. some one of the vague. It's a grandmother's surname. Yeah, yeah it's Corey. Ends up being a, the creating agent provocateur, yeah. the yeah. underwear mm-hmm. brand, which is I oh, my jaw dropped open when I read mm-hmm. that. Had no idea that had any connection ah. to Vivian Westwood whatsoever. So she's pregnant now. So she's got a, and she's working as a school teacher. Yeah. And she said that Malcolm, she was fascinated by him. So they would sit up all night talking, but he would talk about himself yeah. all night. Yeah. And she couldn't shut him up, which meant that she was getting up and going to work at school absolutely knackered. Yeah. But at this point, they had made that decision that actually, you know, they're going to have a child together and Vivian was going to make this work in spite of Malcolm yeah. not really. He's, basically, he said. All right, we'll have this child as long as you get it, that I won't have anything to do with it and I won't lift a finger to help you. And it's fair enough, because he didn't want it on the other hand. It does take two to make it. When she went to hospital to have the baby, he didn't go. No. For like the first six days, because when you had a baby back then, they keep you in hospital for a week. She said she was on a ward with all the other women who'd had their babies. Their husbands would turn up. And she didn't even care. She said, that's okay because my partner's different. And then when he did turn up six days later, the nurse said to him, you better be a long distance lorry driver. Yeah. Yeah. You better have a good reason for not being here. And she said that when he turned up, he had a bit of snow on him. He looked like an angel. It's just like, God. I know, she really forgives him for a lot. On the other hand, they've made that deal. On the other hand, it takes two... Oh, I don't know. But anyway, that's how it was. That is how it was. But do you know what? The, there is that thing where, OK, he said it right from the beginning. Yeah, that's actually. what I mean. He didn't want a baby no, he and he's not going to be a father. But then use some contraception. It's not yeah, 1925. But he, he's, in many respects, he is a child himself and he wouldn't take the responsibility True. of contraception. You know, because it, it would always be somebody else's problem. Honestly, and actually, it's, it's stupid. It, it, it was always situation. It was always somebody seriously. else's problem because that child, which was his, was Vivian's responsibility yeah. in his head to the yeah. point where he bought a cactus. Yeah. And he told the young child that the cactus was its dad. Yeah. And, he, and yep. he was not to call Malcolm dad. No. The cactus was his dad. And he dad. never did. And he wasn't really ever a dad to that kid. And that's fine because Vivian was an amazing, although a strange, 
an unconventional mother. She was and unconventional, those kids yeah. Turned out amazingly. Yeah, they did. They really did. And you know, Malcolm increasingly was a bit of an asshole. Actually, it, it was. You can understand I would it say at nineteen. A bit of an asshole. But the older he gets, the oh, more yeah, it really cements better. into. No, actually, that's really bad behaviour at this point. Now yeah, he gets worse. He gets way worse because yeah. you can't excuse it when he's gr- yeah. grown up. No, you can't. And uh, but they had the best mother and a really good life. So it actually worked out all right as it happens. Yes, yes. And I kind of, I also think that Vivian, in the retelling of her relationship with Malcolm, she's very pragmatic about it. She doesn't really blame him for anything. I mean, she almost doesn't blame herself. She's just like, that's what happened. And that's what, she justifies it by saying that she felt that Malcolm needed her. Yeah. And and so she, you know, stayed in the relationship because he needed He wasn't really needy. Yeah, my God, yeah. he was needy. Yeah. It's so weird. He just, like, literally needed everyone's approval yeah. all the time. Yeah. And he couldn't do anything for anyone else. And if at anything that other people were doing, he was trying to take credit for yeah. the whole time. Oh, my God, he really did that. So they weren't always present as parents because they would go away and they would leave the young children yeah. with her parents right so they'd yeah. be spending the summer actually they did loads of that yeah and then but what happened when the kids were quite young still when the kids came oh, back oh they didn't remember her. one of them went like catatonic he couldn't remember yeah. his mum and it freaked her out yeah. so much she said it took a whole day and then eventually Malcolm made him smile and she was so relieved the next day she went into school she says I'm immediately resigning she said, I'm yeah. spending the time with my children. Yeah. And then moved to a caravan in Prostatic. Because they had no money. Parents' caravan. Malcolm wasn't working. And no money. And she gave him a really good life, didn't she? Oh, it sounds amazing and in that little Karen caravan. And there's just fabric everywhere. And... Yeah, and they'd go out foraging and yeah. living off the land. Yeah, yeah, they did. But she didn't know what she was doing. All of a sudden, she yeah. was back up in Prostatic. Yeah. With her two young children in a caravan with no money. I mean, really, what was going to happen By the next? way, Brostatin is a seaside uh, town in Wales. Wales. Yes. <laughs> I went past it on the train. Did you? Uh, two days ago. As you yeah. were reading about it in the book. No, no. But uh, <laughs> now you just go past it on the train and all you see is sort of trailers, you know. Right. Hundreds of them right and, along the coast. And did you think at one point one of those had Vivian Westwood well, in no, it? Well, no, because I picture it more as a caravan. Yeah, and that was the sixties. That will have rotted and died that caravan. <laughs> but now it's all these really smart mobile home sort of things all along the coast. It's nice though. I mean, it's gorgeous up there, so it would mm-hmm. have been lovely for them. But then, obviously, she couldn't work up there. Um, oh, I think because she was a teacher, they let her homeschool her children. Yeah, that's right. So they didn't always have to enrol into yeah, schools. Yeah. But eventually, I don't know how long she was there for, but Malcolm did uh, say yeah. to her, come back, I've got us a flat. He's going to pull himself together, which yeah. he never did. He just no. wanted her back. Yeah, because he needed her. Yeah. So she went to be uh, She went to be back Yeah, him. and yeah. they got this place, 10 Furley Court in Clapham, which has sort of got this iconic status because... They, it's still there, corner house, yeah. sort of picture it, big windows. And, and it still belonged in, to her, right? Yeah, that's still her house. And that was where, gosh, like right into the 90s, whole fashion collections were just being made in, in that, that house. house by which her. Is nuts. With a sewing It's not that big. Yeah. It's just an ordinary house. Yeah. Well, it's a flat, isn't it? Yeah. Which is why it's so amazing that all this happened it's, uh, in this it's tiny flat. It's crazy. A whole, yeah. a whole famous collection that's probably bought up for the V&A was made in this yeah. flat. By one woman on her side. Yeah, machine. well, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah, 10 Thurley Court. 
Black. So they went there, and that's where they stayed for, for a Ever. long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly, well, well, as they were Vivian and Malcolm. Together, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the end of them being that. Yeah. And then, around this time, they got a room at the back of the shop. Oh, so this is World's the End. famous shop at 430 Kings that? Road. Kings Road. Oh, yes, Kings Road. Which is legendary for clothes, fashion. It is. I would now, say that it kind of was before they got yeah, there. I but was. I would say they absolutely put, put it on that the map. shop and that street yeah. on the map. Yeah. I think Mary Quant and stuff were there It was before. already there. So it's a bit of a and, destination. Oh, there's that other shop down the road that their mate owns that's got really... Granny's... Granny takes a trip. Takes a trip. That yeah. was quite legendary. So it was kind of a cool area. It was a cool, was a cool With street. cool shops. So, yeah, there was a guy there who had a shop who quite often disappeared and he had a space in the back. Yeah. Which is where Vivian and Malcolm took over a space at them. They were selling records, though, to begin records with, right? Records and clothes, because she was still doing that bricolage, it's called, sort of collaging stuff, taking T-shirts, sewing bits on and... That only evolved because, initially, yeah. there was a rock and roll concert, convention or something, where all the teddy boys would come down, yeah. and Vivian made some T-shirts of the rock and roll bands and stuff, but they didn't sell. Oh, right. And they were like, damn, you know, we've invested what little money we have into these T-shirts. And then because they didn't sell, they then took these T-shirts and started cutting them up and sticking stuff on. Yes. And then that was kind of the beginning of, well, the fashion oh, empire, yeah. really. Things that they... I know, it's amazing that the slogan T-shirt, but it definitely started a whole decades of people going out with their yeah. personalities on their T-shirts. That wasn't just like evolving from the rock and roll t-shirts because they were very political and they were getting into the certain movements with their slogans and yeah. stuff and they ended up putting the slogans onto the that's t-shirts that's true like and the nazi whole... things or gay slogans or jesus yeah. mixed with a cock or th- all yeah. of it all no, mixed all... up oh my god that is yeah. <laughs> you know how i said that this book sometimes the the sons they interview the sons yeah. anyway this is um <laughs> Ben, this is when she's making those T-shirts. Ben, Vivian's small son, saw her make them. And he says, I'd be doing my homework in the corner while she was making things. And when she did the piss Marilyn Monroe T-shirt, I said, Mum, I'm confused. Do you like her or not? And she said, yeah, it's not about that. I'm just trying to shock people by putting piss on. And then when she was pencilling in the cock of Jesus on the inverted cross on the swat sticker... (laughs) I do remember thinking, my mum's quite eccentric. (laughs) In those early days, you know, those T-shirts, it was all about shock and getting publicity. Like they would put a T-shirt of those two gay cowboys in the window of the shop and then the police would come in and say, you have to remove that. But they were getting publicity from doing things like that. Oh, yeah. So very quickly they took over the whole shop, didn't they? And then it got renamed how many times? Oh, yeah. Like, I find that quite... That's almost like her collections, you know? Every year she'd bring out a collection. Let it rock. Too fast to live, too young to die is another slogan for you. Oh, sex, it was called later. Yeah, yeah they just kept... Seditionary. And then they also brought uh, in all oh, the fetish world. So, yes. So that was blowing my mind reading that book because I didn't kind of realise that. Literally, the, the sort of... The looks of the fetish world with all the buckles and belts and straps and this mm-hmm. and that. She took from that world and put it onto clothes. I was really into punk. I was a kid but I wanted to be a punk. The fashion of it. Yeah, I wanted my hair, I wanted to be a punk with purple hair. I used to say that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I thought they looked amazing and I wanted to join them. 
and badges on everything. Oh my mm-hmm. god, rips everything, buckles, belts. To actually think that where to find the source of it was the fetish that you know. And had... also, I didn't realise that Vivian Westwood. I don't know if she was the first person, but she was one of the first people to distress clothes, like to yeah. put rips in jeans yeah. and t-shirts. I had and no zips idea about that. Open. I've always loved all that stuff, and I didn't know why. Right. And this woman and Malcolm, they were actually. You found it difficult to say Malcolm there. Is yeah. that because you begrudge him? I don't want to give him so much credit. Yeah, no, I feel the he same. Was, he was doing all the talk and she was doing the actual making it visual. And she, she gives him too much credit. She does, but I kind of think it's that whole thing, right? He was a real shit, um, as we will find out in a bit. But there's also that thing, the partnership work, the partnership happened. She was an undeniable creative genius. Yeah, but the one probably wouldn't have happened without the other. Without the instigator, with the provocateur, which is Malcolm. Yeah, Yeah, and he he is unlikable, and I don't like him. I found it really hard reading about him in this book, because I did like him, and his music in the 80s I thought was great. I was a fan of Malcolm McLaren, and now I kind of know what kind of a person he was. It really puts me off him. But, no... Well, maybe it would have happened without him in another way, but certainly the way it did happen, yeah. instigating punk and stuff, that was as much Malcolm yeah. McLaren as Vivian Westwood. It was. But he pushed too far. In tr- Here's the thing. I, Vivian Westwood, even now, is happy to share that history yeah. with him. Yeah. He wanted it all to be him. Yes. He wanted to be the genius and she was the seamstress. Yes. Right? That is annoying. But she, but you can't have the clothes without the ideas behind it. It's like yeah. art. It literally is art, actually, and the ideas behind it are just as valuable as the product. Yeah. Anyway, they were amazing between them. I, I like it that they said they were kind of designers in, in search of a band. <laughs> yeah. it's really nuts because usually the music comes first and then mm-hmm. it gets clothed or it gets backdropped but in this case the the art was there and the, they needed to find the music to go with it what's interesting about that because obviously we're of an age where kind of punk kind of happened when we were children yes. right so yeah. we weren't so privy about everything that was happening so I was interesting to find out that punk was actually the first and Vivian um, and Malcolm were essentially the first people who were marrying fashion with music yeah. in the fact that a band would be dressed by a particular yeah. design, which is so commonplace now. Yeah, that's true. But back in the day, obviously stars would wear designer clothes and stuff, but it wasn't like the name of the designer was as important yeah, as the name of the true. band. That yeah. came from Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren. Yeah. They, I guess they knew to be seen, yeah. they needed to get pop stars and bands to wear their clothes. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually now thinking, though, that Lansky's clothed Elvis, but that wasn't as famous. And then, yeah, but um, when, when was nudie, he clothing the bloke Elvis? The did all those nudie suits with all the diamonds for the country music stuff. It was around the same time. It was happening. OK. Just throwing that in there. I was just having mm-hmm. to think about what. But um, this is that's the first that happened in Britain, anyway. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Well, you know, like you say, like Malcolm McLaren is somebody who would take stuff from, like the political movements. So perhaps he did see the guy dressing the country and Western people are dressing Elvis and then and thinking, those people I'm going to take linked, that and yeah, bring that, that over. That look yeah. was linked to that and that yeah. was linked to that. Yeah. But, but it might just be an organic thing that happens when because the pop world was being born. Mm-hmm. I mean, right up to the 50s, it was just big bands and classical music. Mm-hmm. So the whole... You know, there's a massive revolution post-war of, of popular culture and the teenage boom. And, you know, so maybe it, 
it was evolving all over the world yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah, Music yeah. was becoming something that young people made and that was getting records made and mm-hmm. that you need, and then you're getting photos taken and mm-hmm. you're going on TV, which was new. Yeah, and so you real. needed to be clothed. Yeah. And so it's yeah, maybe yeah, just yeah. all naturally evolving at that mm-hmm. time all over the world. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have to imagine. I think it was. Oh, it really was, wasn't it? This <laughs> <laughs> is very exciting. A very exciting time to be alive. But what they did was so far outside mainstream that it's kind of crazy. Yeah. It became mainstream. It yeah. became mainstream because it was so out there and it made the news. Right, let's talk about how the Sex Pistols come into it. Okay. Yes. So they have the shop on King's Road. Now, here's the thing. Like, because they're part of pop culture history as we know it. We forget, actually, that at the time, few people were actually dressing like Vivian Westwood to the point where they're in the really cool area of London, Kings Road in Chelsea, and there are other people who have boutiques and really cool shops, and they are looking at Vivian and thinking, wow, who is that? She looks amazing. So even within her world, people are recognising that she is. Oh, she cut her hair to a pixie thing and bleached it blonde, and they actually reckon that David Bowie copied her. Yeah, because his hair came out like a year later. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, w- he would have seen her. Because everyone who's everyone went to that shop, yeah. didn't they? Oh, Chrissy Hind worked Chrissy there. Worked there. Jordan, Iggy not not Pop, Katie Price, Jordan, the Yeah, they all. It was They'd a place to in. go. Everyone, Jerry Hall, yeah. yeah, and people were going. In. Everybody who was anybody, Alice Cooper, went and visited that shop yeah. before we all knew who they were. Mm. They were getting a really good reputation in yeah. like the and well showbiz circles but the alternative yeah and the clubbing scene and the music scene yeah and so they needed a band right Malcolm McLaren was like I'm going to put a band together wearing these clothes you know he just wanted a band that that married that whole art that they were creating the attitude everything and some of these characters were coming in Sid Vicious had ripped all his clothes but apparently that's because he couldn't find his heroine (laughs) <laughs> and he thought it was in some pocket and he and I think he would, must have been wearing his clothes because he's off his head and he ripped all his clothes looking for heroin on, on his person and that's where the ripped thing started and the safety pins as well is, yeah oh then he yeah. safety pinned it all back together <laughs> which is kind of horrible that's, that's heroin chic isn't yeah, it it's the for the, of yeah for sure it is kind of really dark to think that the safety pins came from, from heroin someone who's absolutely looking... and Sid Vicious that's another whole story which is for another time because his mum was a heroin addict and had given him heroin at 14 it's actually a very sad whole state of affairs but him and john lydon had come into the shop johnny rotten and they both looked amazing and different and they'd said do you want to form a band were they even musicians no it was johnny rotten to begin with sid vicious came in later they were both called john by the way their real names were both John. What Malcolm wanted, he had the idea of a punk band, so he wanted to fly in the face of convention. It didn't matter that they couldn't play their instruments yeah. or sing. And I think they said to Johnny Rotten, can you sing? And he's like, what for? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. it's kind of, well... You've you got the job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think Vivian said to Malcolm, John should be the singer, but she meant Sid Vicious. And so he got the wrong John, yeah. as it turned out beautifully, because Johnny yeah, Rotten was yeah, a great yeah. frontman. But yeah, that that came from those kids, because they were kids, yeah. hanging out in the shop. shop yeah. I actually didn't realise how... I knew, obviously, Vivian Westwood was around at the time of the Sex Pistols and was doing the clothes and stuff. I didn't realise she was, like, writing the lyrics. Oh, some of the my songs God. On the album. Nor did I. She yeah. co-wrote or wrote. Anarchy in the UK. Yeah. That, that title Incredible. was her idea. Yeah. 
Yeah. Amazing. Do you know why we don't know that? This has just come to me in this right. moment because fucking Malcolm McLaren took all the credit for Ooh, everything. He did. he did. He did. Yeah, it's not right. Let's just airbrush him out completely and say Vivian Westwood yeah. founded the sex. Festivals. Yes, and did everything. Yeah. yeah. By the way, it wasn't even called punk, of course. Uh-huh. It's somebody, they think they'd done some gigs and somebody, uh, a journalist had written, oh, this bunch of punks. Oh, okay. And that sort of became, mm-hmm. because of course, you, you can't have a movement name before you've started it. Yeah, you don't for know what sure. You're doing. Yeah, it would be too contrived. Yeah, yeah. Because punk isn't contrived yeah. at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they were genuine. They really oh, yeah. meant everything they said, they yeah. meant it at the time they absolutely lived it no it always it always surprises me how early punk started because i think of it as like late 70s but actually it was blowing up like 74 and actually uh, let's not forget the new york dolls no because actually they um they started without them they were already on the scene yes without any help from Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren. No, for sure. But then Vivian and Malcolm went to New York, yes. right? And they took suitcases of their clothes because they heard that, that once a year, one of the, there was this thing where uh, designers would go and take over hotels and yeah. open the rooms. And they were in a hotel, can't remember what it was, and nothing was happening. They weren't yeah. selling any clothes and they bumped into the New York Dolls. And Who they had said, already visited them in London. That's in right, their shop, yes. So they knew each yep. other. And they bumped into him and they said, no, you need to be in the Chelsea Hotel, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah, and so they moved to the Chelsea Hotel, yeah. and, and it all took off for them. It, didn't it took off, yeah, and the owner loved them, so they stayed for longer. Yeah, they and they ended work. up, yeah, yeah, and they ended up in and out of CBGBs and and, and Andy Warhol in the yeah. factory and stuff. So yeah, it did. It really happened. Yeah, and then but then Malcolm became obsessed with managing the New York Dolls, yeah. who were already a thing. New York Dolls, incidentally, were a kind of punkish music, but they were grown men with mm. long hair who completely dressed as women sorry i'm just talking about them and not mentioning who they are because we yeah. obviously we've just done morrissey oh yeah um, so listen 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 to the morrissey podcast because yeah. he also the new york dolls are them. very important yeah, very movies. linked to yeah so then here they are again i'll tell you everybody is linked it is amazing books. isn't it yeah yeah so vivian goes back to london because obviously she has children yes. <laughs> she's using a lot of babysitting goodwill from yeah. her parents but malcolm stays over there because he's determined to he manage the new york dolls yeah. yeah but then he goes back and forth to america a lot then he comes back and he wants to do the sex pistols right yeah, is that yeah. the right order yeah, that happens so. and then so the sex pistols are created from kids that yeah. were hanging out in and visiting the shop and then vivian westwood is decking out the new york dolls in red leather outfits and yeah wow it looked amazing she really it's amazing that you can know her and she's just such a world conquering icon mm. but then you delve into her past and you think oh my gosh she was dressing the new york dolls yeah. it didn't even occur to me that she <laughs> can i go on a massive tangent yeah because it totally blew my mind that she designed the virgin um atlantic <laughs> yes. uniforms which i must have somehow missed that in the news and then i've since seen some virgin atlantic air uh, stewards mm-hmm. stewardesses amazing I, if I hadn't read this book, I wouldn't understand what those shape, what what it means that she designed those uniforms, mm-hmm. because of the way the jackets sort of they actually have some of that bodice effect. Oh, that do they? they? The way they the jackets fold and the bits around the hips and stuff, you can actually see 
Vivian Westwood's style in them, and I would never have clocked that. I get the impression that she wouldn't have done that for any airline. It's just that she really likes Richard Branson. That's, yeah, that's They fair came enough. up together, and I think eventually he re-signed the Sex Pistols after they were dropped from EMI. But they were a similar age. They came up together at the same time. But he's also, she likes what he does yeah, philanthropically. That's true. Mind yeah, you, the Vatican got Versace to redesign all of their... Um, uniforms. Did they? I think it was Versace, yeah. I mean, so sometimes they get random jobs, don't they? Yeah, but you, I mean, you have to approve of the Catholic Church to dress the Vatican, don't yes, you? Yes, yes. Anyway, yeah. we've just, oh, sorry, I've <laughs> leapt from punk to Virgin Atlantic uniforms. Let's leap back again. Back to the New York dolls. <laughs> yeah. So it's punk is happening. Yeah, it's happening. They've got she says everyone's going nuts at these gigs. Mm-hmm. They're pogoing, just jumping on the spot, basically, and it's kind of all nuts. Eventually, she tires of this. Yeah, but I thought that was really interesting, and that shows the person Vivian is. They were kind of trying... Well, they were inspiring a political movement amongst young people, like saying, don't trust the government and stuff, and they they created this whole movement that was incredibly popular, and she said, you know what, we brought it to them, and all they wanted to do was jump up and yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've written this quote down. When I turned around on the barricades, there was no one there. They were just still pogoing, so I lost interest. Yeah. Because she yeah. was, like, fighting for the freedom yeah. of the human spirit, yeah. and they're just jumping up and down, drunk, yeah. having a laugh. Yeah, that's all. That's what uh, punk yeah, was so about. That, that took it to the end for her. It is interesting, just as a, a concept that you know you can be political and you can try and reach people through music and fashion, but ultimately, uh, half the people are two-dimensional <laughs> and they just want the music and the fashion. Well, yeah, and they don't care about the yeah, political. It's well fun. So she moved on, and she <laughs> actually realised that she needed to go it alone. But it took her a while to to rid. What's interesting is that she she kind of, certainly in terms of being a parent, always went it alone. When she was earning the yeah. only wage, yeah. when they come back and they were in that flat and the kids were young, yeah. one was a baby, one was a child, and she was being a school teacher, yeah. she would get in trouble at work for being late because she had to get up, feed the baby, yeah. take him to the nursery, come back, pick up the other yeah. kid, take him to school, and Malcolm would still be in bed. Yeah. And he refused to help her out and she said that she couldn't trust him because he said if you leave one of these kids with me I'm going to take them to Bernardo's which if you're listening in America is a children's home but also she said she knew he wasn't joking she knew that if she did leave one of the boys with him he would have taken them to Bernardo's I mean what is wrong with that man but this is also how liberal she was when they were about nine and oh eleven. Oh my god! I know what you're going to say. I love <laughs> this. It is kind of amazing. She sent it's them for in some holidays for two weeks on their bikes from London all the way down to Devon and back on their bikes. They cycled themselves at nine and eleven with, yeah. with camping equipment. Yes, and just camped along the roads. And then they interviewed the boys, and they absolutely had the time of, of their lives. They did. I think my <laughs> parents were down in Devon, so they eventually got there and then back. Oh. Yeah, no, she said that even the grandparents got into the spirit of it. So these boys have been riding their bikes for, I don't know, five days camping (laughs) on the way from London to Devon. And she said that when, in defence, she says it was a different time. And she said, but my parents were up for it. She said when the boys were cycling towards the house, they'd made a chequered flag and they were waving it. The boys say, the men say now, recalling that experience, 
they said obviously it took us a while the first time but the next time we did it in half the yeah. time so you did it more than doing. once and then when the next year they went to, to France yeah but they were still children they right were, they were 10 and 12 and they, they went, went to camping France, France camping on their own on their own oh it's amazing God. but they loved it do you know what I when I heard that the first time I thought that can't be true and then when I read it in the autobiography I'm like wow yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. of course they loved it yeah of course they loved it it's brilliant <laughs> Right, moving on. <laughs> oh, oh, they stayed poor for so long. And one of the reasons is they installed some bloody twat. This Their mate, oh, so-called friend, yeah. for something like eight years, he was actually stealing from them. In the and shop. And they couldn't work out why she was working day and night, knocking out all these clothes, and they were never making any profit. And she'd go, oh, I haven't taken any money today. Oh, no, how am I going to pay the children's school fees? So he always lent her money. And he was lending her her own money. money. And he had a really bad coke problem. And that's where all their profits went for eight years. Eight years. years. See, she's a classic, you know, example of a creative person who just cannot do business. Her brain won't do business. But she trusts other people people. to do it. Combination of those things. Yeah. No, I kind of get how that happened for eight years. I could imagine that happening to me. Yeah. Because you just want to create, you want to create. You don't want to do the business. Yeah, no, business is boring. But seriously, they were broke. She was broke for a fashion icon and legend she was broke for such a huge part of her life the, the one of the most surprising things for me reading this book is even when she was a relative household name in the mid 1980s so yes. punk had oh. happened she was a yeah. designer her name was out there broke. she had absolutely zero money even after she'd been to italy yeah. and came back she had to sign on the doll yeah, yeah. wow yes yeah. i guess the press had taken her story and run with it so we've all heard of her yeah. but none of it was making any money. Yeah. And what's amazing about that is that obviously money was right down the list in the things yeah. she wanted out of life. Yeah. She wanted to create. Yeah. She wanted to change things. That Those were the reasons yeah, that's right. she did that's it. And as long as she could just keep her head above the water in terms of rent. Well, she wasn't even paying the rent because the bailiffs were coming around. That's she was right. that skinned. Yeah. But I guess money was under creative fulfilment yeah. and, and the Absolutely. drive to Absolutely. do what she wanted yeah. to do. That's amazing. Yeah. She kept it, which is, again, in terms of success, it is those people who keep going against yeah. the odds who yeah. eventually break through and make yeah. it. Yeah. But in many respects, she'd already made it by that she point. She'd made it, just not financially. Yeah. So anyway, after she realized, she moves on from the Sex Pistols, Malcolm's still all caught up in music. Mm-hmm. She starts making actual collections. She thinks, I'm going to see if I can make it in the fashion world. Let's make a collection, which initially Malcolm was involved in. And one of their first collections was the New Romantics. Well, OK, as an 80s kid... The new romantics, it means everything to yeah. me. And I dressed, I copied adamant. You know, I wore frilly shirts and pirate trousers and all of that stuff. And I absolutely loved Culture Club and dressed as mm-hmm. them and all that. And I had no idea that well, that, that was, had Vivian anything Westwood. to do with Vivian Westwood. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So she seriously affected my clothes taste via those bands of the 80s yeah. and the romantics. So that first, the first proper collection she did, which was Pirates... That was when Malcolm had the band Bow Wow Wow mm. and they dressed them yeah. in those clothes. Bow Wow Wow, this again yeah. shows you what Malcolm is like. 
Adam Ant <laughs> approached Malcolm McLaren and said, will you manage us? Malcolm McLaren said, OK. He sacked Adam Ant from the band. Amazing. <laughs> and put in Annabella yeah. Lewin as a lead singer. years and, old, wasn't and, she? Yeah, and Dodgy. named them Bow Wow Wow. Yeah. But he got a successful. Ba- yeah, then actually, Adam, Adam, Adam Ants became Adam massive. Adam. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. that's um, so the clothes came from that movement, and then it just spilled out, and it really influenced that yeah. whole romantic movement. Yeah, and yeah Boy George that, and everything. Yeah, yeah, the actual collection then filtered into absolute mainstream. Then it's interesting, like as much as you think you know about Vivian Westwood. It's so far-reaching. Yeah, if you scratch every, anything in the early 80s, yeah. her influence is there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Her involvement, not even her influence, yeah. her actual direct involvement. Yeah. yeah, amazing. That's pretty cool. So th- those were some revelations for me. And um, basically, she takes, she starts to take off. She starts getting into the fashion world and doing collections. And By doing her collections, yeah. And pres- fashion. Presenting them yeah. at Fashion Week yeah. and stuff. And yeah. she um, teams up with Keith Haring. Yeah, um, they were going to collaborate. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows who he is now, don't New they? New York. He's bloody famous. Keith Haring, yeah, I would yeah. think so. Google um, him if you don't. But, yeah, it's it's like the coming together of her style and his was very, very cool. Mm-hmm. And I think each thing like that happening to her starts liberating her. And then, because she's always drawn from... A really serious intellectual connection. She makes friends with this bloke Gary mm-hmm. Ness, and he's not a historian. And he's asked her if he can draw, um, paint her portrait, and that sparks up an amazing friendship, which they really talk a lot about in this book because that brought her to connect with the art history. And it's mostly paintings she's looking at, but the history mm-hmm. of fashion through mm-hmm. paintings. And then she ends up finding old patterns actual patterns of clothes from those times so she can copy the patterns and then make it her own so take Mm -hmm. corsets bringing corsets into modern fashion and fabrics and she's bringing the history of clothes but mixing it with modern times and and having um, complete freedom to do whatever she wants with that history just messing it up and also proper cutting styles and takes fashion onto a whole new level by becoming quite serious actually like yeah it's very interesting it's just so many levels to what she said she didn't take anything lightly at that point it was all so heavily researched and finessed and executed it's amazing isn't it it's like she's had more than one life because she completely goes in another direction but I think what an important thing happens at this time. Carlo comes into it at this time, yeah. right? So Carlo is an Italian guy. No, she ends up having a relationship with him Very for about four short, years. But it's okay, clearly not that important. And um, so they have this working relationship, and he's the one who says, "Do you know what? You should be coming to Italy and making the clothes yeah. in Italy." But more importantly, he's the one who said to her, because up until now, everything is still done under the World's End label, yeah. which is in conjunction with Malcolm McLaren. Yeah. Damn cheek. It was her mum that did that, you know. Was it? <laughs> when they started off and they got the shop, yeah. her mum said, you need to do this properly. And she gave her 100 quid to right. set up a business and oh. they put both of their names oh. on it. And Vivian Westwood said, that's the biggest regret of my life, wow. was starting a company with Officially, both our names on it. Yeah. So then, for the next however long, even though she'd already broken away and he was going over to music and she was taking care of the fashion and designing, he totally had his name on it all. Yeah. Carlo was the person who said to her, now is when you stop doing stuff yeah. under the name World's End and you do it under the name Vivian yeah. Westwood. And I think it cost all the money she had to legally yeah. 
make that right. Well, then they went to Italy and he took her over and he had all the contacts. Mm. And there was this other guy. So they were looking for funding at this point. People knew who she was. Obviously, people knew who she was yeah. part of punk. But it's one thing being part of punk and the music industry is another for the fashion world. Sure. Yeah. yeah. To, to, to make serious. that leap. Yeah. And you need serious funding and you need... To, yes. Your... You need to be able to back up your ideas with mass production. Otherwise, mm-hmm. what's the point? Yeah. So Carlo kind of managed her at this point and he took her to Italy and then he said, OK, oh, is it Armani or the other one? I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> Armani or Versace. Yeah. There's a guy in between. I can't even remember what his name is, but there's a guy they went to. Oh, yeah, he's going to take her on, but he died. Yeah. So he went and he was going to get funding and, and he it's either Armani or Versace. And I can't remember which one it is, but one of them gave 150,000. Pa- it doesn't yeah. matter. They're both the no. same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was going to invest 150,000 pounds in Vivian Westwood to launch her. And then unfortunately, this guy who introduced them died and, and then and the whole thing was pulled. Apart. So then she was back in London on the bones of her ass, signing on the doll yeah. with the bailiffs at the door. Yeah, she's nuts. Damn. But she doesn't stop. But they open the still... shop again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she's still cranking out collections. And she's teaching. She's teaching yes. in Vienna and then Berlin. Yeah, and that's where she met that, the, um, the love, of her, love life. of her life. Yeah, she met the proper he's love a of nice her person, life. Finally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Andreas. Yeah, I'd just say Andreas is Let's fine. just say Andreas and he's <laughs> Austrian. He was 23, a student. She, she was, was 48. 48, which is a big age gap. It is, but do you know what? I, they've stayed together for so long and I look at them and I think it's the most beautiful relationship. It, it really relationship. is. And I fully believe that when I say I think all 23-year-old men should at least have one relationship with a 48-year-old woman in their life. Because yeah. they would teach you so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, ideally, it lasts forever because otherwise the 48-year-olds are always going to feel really old when they get dumped. <laughs> she never got dumped. No, they of course really not. Who would dump other. Vivian Westwood? Oh, it's really good, though. He was a massive, massive talent. And she says he could have easily become massive on his own. And she's so lucky that he stuck by her. It's so lovely how she talks about him. Mm-hmm. But he was in awe of her. But basically, they're a team. And talking about not giving Malcolm McLaren credit, he needs to be talked up more. I found that amazing, actually, where Malcolm McLaren didn't deserve any credit. Okay, like a a tiny bit of credit, but he took all the credit. And then Vivian Westwood said, well, people don't realise, because the company is called Vivian Westwood, is that Andreas actually does half the work. And and at that point, it's a label rather than her, Vivian Westwood. So, you know, you can't suddenly make it Vivian and Andreas because that really is the label. But now she's... When she died... It wasn't so long ago. It was on the news that Andrea said, well, she's she's left me with a huge amount of work to do and I'm going to carry on. Mm. And that's the first I'd heard of him. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, I really hope that he, well, he will carry it on and I hope he rises up and in the history of time, he'll get the credit mm-hmm. he deserves. He had half of her estate and the other half went to Jeff Banks. <gasps> now, interestingly, when she came back from Italy... Now, also, one of her sons, the son who started Argent Provocateur, actually was very hands-on in the business, and he created a lot of stuff, and he actually got the first Japanese licensing deal, which Mm. is a big movement in her becoming a massive global brand. Carlo kind of takes the credit for that a bit, but actually Carlo came in at a point when Joe, the son, had actually done a lot of work with his mum. She had to make the awful decision of getting rid of Joe and taking yeah. on Carlo. 
and he was devastated at the time. But look, it worked. He went on and did our jump for So yeah. And then at that point, when they didn't get the money from Italy, Jeff Banks actually gave them the money to keep going. Right. Which he stole from Sandy Shaw, but that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that was a good investment for him. Yeah. That's not in this book, is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Read it today. Good Lord, I've completely blanked that bit out. Well, there's a lot to forget. There is a lot, there is a lot. Let's just say at this point that there's a lot in this book. Oh, it's a big fat book. And I'm loving doing this podcast because just let me tell you, I'm falling in love with all of these people. I was in love with Vivian Westwood anyway, but I loved reading this again. We don't even have a hope of covering everything in this podcast. So we've kind of given you her rise to fame. If you're interested, read read the the book. Because yeah. also, it's not just about Vivian Westwood. If you're into fashion and pop culture, Vivian would hate us saying pop culture because I think she's kind of more into high art. I think she thinks pop yeah. culture cheapens what she's yeah. done. And I kind of get that. So the book is not just about Vivian Westwood. It's also, there's a lot of historical context. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot about great. the political climate of uh, right from post-war Britain right up to punk and then beyond to where her brand explodes in like the 80s and the 90s. So we've kind of got to the point, right, where she's a global brand and she's starting the collection. She's met Andreas. So there's a lot of success doing a new collection every year and and her growing and growing. Talking about Japan, they're mad for her in Japan. I, I I didn't particularly know that. No, you know when you see those Japanese culture girls, like the Harajuku yeah. girls yeah. and stuff, there's a d- almost direct oh. Vivian Westwood influence. Gwen Stefani. Yeah, there you go. That that song with Harajuku girls, and she mentions Vivian Westwood. Vivian Westwood girl. Yeah, so, there you yeah, go. It's yeah. all connected. Yeah. All connected. I see that. There's a list here, I've, I've written it down because it's amazing, of what she contributed to fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Shall I read it? Yeah. All right, this is it. Cutting. Slogans on T-shirts, collage and DIY in fashion, right. fetish wear as fashion, corsets were reintroduced by her, historical patterns coming back, historical costume, tweed resurrection, tweed resurrection. <laughs> platform pedestal shoes, yeah. which are completely gaga. Now, it's very fetish, but... And on. actually, you know what really pushed Vivian Westwood onto the front pages around the world? Naomi Campbell falling over. In Naomi impossible Campbell to walk in shoes. Falling off <laughs> impossible shoes. And a bit of tweed. <laughs> Suddenly everyone was looking. That really did, though. Really. Yeah. But everyone went mad for it. Yeah. Put them both, made them both really famous. Yeah, because what's time. nice about it, you always thought that Naomi Campbell was some kind of haughty ice maiden. Yeah. And actually, when she falls over, she's just laughing yeah. at herself. It's so nice. Yeah, it's good, that. So it made falling over fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> Undergarments as overgarments. The tube skirt, mm-hmm. which I didn't realise. A fine knitwear on catwalk. She's obsessed with knitting. Oh, here's an interesting thing. Before she really took off, she went to American Vogue. Is it Grace Coddington? Oh, yeah. Um, took a, one of her collections in to try and get into Vogue. And Grace Coddington kind of turned her nose up at it and said, I don't, don't think this is right for Vogue. And Vivian West was like, she was literally sat there in a mohair jumper, which Vivian Westwood had designed yeah. like the original and brought back to the yeah, masses. Yeah. Incredible. No. Ignorant idiot. Yes. The woman. Um, hourglass figure. Asymmetry on catwalk. And, of course, punk. Punk. I mean, that's an amazing list that's of a an influence yeah. in global fashion. Yeah. She's a very important lady. Yeah. 
And what I love about her as well is that she didn't really get going until she was about 30. I mean, she the groundwork was there. Very true. She, but she yeah. was a teacher. She was. A, she didn't a, get any cash till she was about oh 50 God. or something. I know, she right? She really didn't get paid for it. She really didn't. And now no. she, I was watching a documentary about her. Now she has her global brand and, mm. you know, she has 20 accountants and 50 business managers. Yeah. There's a documentary made in the last five or ten years and there's a meeting of them and she just goes, they're all sat down, she just goes in and she doesn't sit down. She just um, says to them, look, I know you're all employed to expand this company and make money. She goes, I don't care about the money. She says it is just all about the fashion and what we can say through the fashion. And yeah, and I get that. And I think there's part of her actually, which probably feels a bit uncomfortable about making so much money because she did. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. No, go on. Oh, well, it did make her feel uncomfortable. And that's why she got into activism so strongly. And that's how she could turn around um, making money and and the power and fame and use it for good so that she could live with herself at peace. Because that the rest of this book, basically, the last whole section is about climate revolution and her whole... There's one thing, even if this podcast yeah. turns out to be an hour long, I'm not going to finish it without talking about her activism. And we there's a to. reason for that. Mm. There was another documentary made about three years ago that I went to the cinema to see. And Vivian, with when she had planned it with the documentary maker, understood that the documentary was going to be about her activism. Yeah. And actually what happened was that it was a whole documentary about her fashion work yeah. and her punk oh. legacy. And right at the end, there was like a three-minute section of her on a Greenpeace yeah. boat. Yeah. So Vivian distanced herself from the documentary because she's like, no, if you're not going to talk about my activism, yeah. don't talk about me at all. Now, I know it's a bit hi- hypocritical that we just spent an hour talking about everything else, but we have to talk about yeah. do her legacy justice and yes. do what she wanted yes. by talking about what an amazing, selfless activist this woman yeah. is. It was always there yeah. from the slogans on the T-shirts, yep. you know. Yeah, And I think you're right. Now she's making billions of dollars, it gets to the point where Cool Earth, the eco-activists, they go into the Amazon and the Congo and they're all about deforestation. And that's the one that she wants to herald. And so she gives like a million pounds I'll tell you what, even if she had never made any money, she'd have given the rest of her life to it. She just would have. Because she discovered this was all happening and Mm -hmm. once she's got the information, that's her next intellectual project. And they even in the book, they say that even when she was 75, they'd been hiking for a week somewhere like Peru. And then they ended up with the councillors or the government or something. Mm. And everybody was absolutely knackered. But some 75 year old Vivian Westwood yeah. got up, just did a speech yeah. off the top of her head yeah. and convinced the government to go forward with cool earth policies. Yeah. Yeah. So she also then saved like a million acres yeah. of rainforest yeah. when everybody else was ready to go to yeah. bed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and also the supporter of Julian Assange and, and Chelsea Manning yeah. and she'll go to the Met Ball again like her t-shirts with the logos on she'll wear a t-shirt with like free 
Chelsea Manning. Yeah. And there... She's all the WikiLeaks supporting all yes. that stuff. And so then when the camera is shoved in her face and they say, who are you wearing tonight? Yeah. She'll say, oh, I'm wearing free Chelsea Manning. Yeah. Then she'll turn... The person she went with said that she just turned to her afterwards and said, oh, it's worth now it was worth now. coming yeah. out for. Yeah, and if she's asked to do a chat show, she'd go, oh, I don't want to... Oh, yeah, I will, because I can talk about yeah. the climate. I can't revolution. imagine she wants to go on Jonathan Ross to no. talk about herself. And no. then she goes on, talks about climate revolution, and then Prince Charles writes her a letter saying, after you were on TV, 30,000 people signed, signed up. up to the yeah, website. Yeah, it's amazing. So she's making a difference, which is all she ever started she out wanting to do. all she ever wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she's hugely passionate and driven by fashion. Yeah. Which, for most people, would be enough in itself. But she always had this thing about changing the yeah. world and changing attitudes yeah. that was always linked with fashion to her yeah yeah so she says um clothes can give you a better life and it certainly worked for her yeah it sure did yeah yeah can everybody listening just please go and buy this book because it is or just even read a bit about her on the internet her legacy yeah. and so i met her did you yeah well no i didn't actually <laughs> i met i, I was doing <laughs> But, you know, I, I used to work looking after people backstage. Yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So I was doing a Prince Charles and Camilla party at Prince Charles's house yeah. where they had a stage where they had people coming to talk about business and the planet and stuff. Excellent. And Vivian Westwood was coming. And I was so excited because it's my job to look after and show yeah. her the green room. Anyway, I get distracted over the other side of the site. And then somebody goes past me on a bicycle. And I thought, oh, my God, it's Vivian <laughs> Westwood. And I'm not there to meet her. Damn. So I'm running behind her on the bicycle. bicycle. And do you know what she did? She just came on her bicycle, she leant it against the wall, yeah. straight up on stage, yeah. did this wonderful talk about yeah. the planet and what we should all be doing. Round of applause, got off the stage, back on her bicycle, and off she went. She didn't need a green room, she didn't want a glass of champagne. Like uh, the lowest maintenance person Amazing. there ever was. No carbon footprint from yeah, Vivian Fletcher. Right. There was a very split second where she came off stage and I thought I could say something and I just thought no I'm just going to be gushing I just stood there in awe and I watched her get on her bicycle yeah. and leave and Amazing. I kind of thought oh I should have spoken to her no, I thought no you did the right fine. thing she is who she says she is yeah yeah she talks the talk and walks the walk and bikes the bike bikes the bike <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thrift Shop Biography. We love making this podcast and we're absolutely thrilled that so many of you are already listening. You could really help us out by leaving us a review somewhere, wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could share us, tell your friends about us or drop some links on social media. We have a Facebook page called Thrift Shop Biography. So make sure you come over there to hear about the episodes first and what else we're up to. Okay, see you next week. And if you're new here, there are loads more episodes now to go and listen in the back catalogue. So make sure you go and enjoy them. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs>